So Jesus teaches us to pray, right? We're going through this prayer journey, 40 days of prayer. I'm doing sermons on prayer all the way through. Now we come to a spot. What could be more important than what Jesus says about prayer? So we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Uh, I heard a story about a few soldiers in World War II who were trapped in a foxhole, completely surrounded and apparently doomed to die. And one of them said as bullets were flying overhead, maybe, maybe we should pray. Does anyone know how to pray? And another guy said, I, I don't know anything about prayer. And, and he looked at the third guy, do you know anything? He said, well, I, I don't know how to pray, but I live next door to a Catholic church basement, and, and I, I could pray what I heard them say. And he said, well, that's all we got. So they bowed their heads, and the fellow said, B, three, I, five. <laughs> we don't want to be stuck in the tough places in life not knowing how to pray. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at what Jesus says, and, and here's the deal. You, for, for your sake, for your family's sake, for the people around you, for this church's sake, for the kingdom's sake, you need to know how to pray better. I need to know how to pray better. The Lord uh, wants to teach us because he releases his blessing when we seek him in prayer. So let's take a look at some of these things. There's several things today, and I'm going to start most people, when they preach this, don't start with this first thing in verse 5, but I want to start with it. One of the things that Jesus said when you're, when you're praying, get alone. We tend to uh, come out just to public meetings or think of this, you know, my house should be a house of prayer. So public meetings, corporate prayer is good. But Jesus said this, I don't want you to skip the most important part, and that's getting alone with me. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the streets to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will re reward you. So, so another version of the Bible says that the prayer closet. It's, it's a place where you're getting alone. It's a place where it's just you and Him. And I want to encourage you, the word encourages you, Jesus tells you, I want you to find a place to get alone with me, a place where it's just you and me. It makes me think of that line that I've heard that I like, you are who you really are when you're alone. And, and um, when we're alone with God, we become better. And uh, he fills us with this, the fruit of his spirit and, and the peace that he wants us to have for the day. But he's addressing... Uh, not, not only the thought that he wants to bless you in secret, but the thought that some people pray in public just to be seen. There's the story of the Pharisees who like to look spiritual. And in Mark 12, verse 40, it was talking of the Pharisees. And, and, and the Bible says they try to make themselves look good by saying long prayers. So there's something about uh, just praying in this setting to, uh, that, that, that can go wrong. But when you're alone with Jesus, you're not trying to impress anybody. You're just tuning into him. I remember I was uh, a young youth pastor in Salem, Oregon, and I was praying in, uh, for a church service. They had a schedule, and I had, they had me scheduled to pray, and I, I went to the Lord, and I said, Lord, help me to pray a good prayer. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, who are you, who are you talking to when you pray up there? He was addressing some, are you doing this for them to think it was good, or are you, are you actually talking to me when you pray? And, 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 and there was a, a subtle rebuke from a loving God who let me know, I want this 
to be about their hearts turned towards me, not them thinking you did a good prayer. And you see the temptation that can come in when public settings are there. We have to be careful of these things. And so he says, get alone. And there's where you really prove your heart to know him. Second thought now, he said, understand that long prayers are not the key. Long prayers are not the key. Matthew 6, 7. And when you pray, these are the words of Jesus again, so they hold power. Do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, some people might think, well, you shouldn't say that. But these are the words of Jesus Christ. He's not saying that long is bad. He's saying that if it's long and repetitious just for the sake of punching the clock, it's not right. Matthew 6, 7, in another version, it, it, it explains the Greek here a little better where it says not only long, but it says vain repetitions. And so even the, the reading of a prayer can be good, uh, but it can also become a distraction if you read that same prayer over and over again in such a repetitive way that it loses its power and the connectivity to a real relationship with God. And even this prayer, you know, the Lord's Prayer that we're going through today, uh, I think there's power in just saying the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, all the way through, and just reciting it. But G Jesus gave it to us not as a prayer to be recited, but as a pattern to know how to pray. So as we look at each one of these things, we're looking at the way it's a pattern. You know, the, the, as, we, as we go on, he's talking about long prayers now and get alone, uh, but, but we're supposed to pray these things as a pattern. Our Father who art in heaven. So let's dwell about the Father. Thank you for being my Father, God. Thank you that I felt your love here. I mean, these are things to resonate in our hearts and minds and to, to be reflective as we talk to God about. Not just rote, written, uh, repetitive things that we say over and over again. Because when we do that, we start to disengage because we're so familiar with the words that we always say or familiar with this prayer that we always read. But we're talking to the Almighty God. We're talking to the Prince of Peace, the Holy Spirit. We can't afford to let our relationship with God become dry and meaningless because of repetitive stuff that really isn't engaging. We can't go through the motions. Prayer is really a dynamic relationship with the all-powerful King of Kings who loves us, knows us, and wants to help us and reveal himself to us. So uh, when it comes to communication, what if in my relationship with my wife, Karen, I would say the same things over and over again? Let's say it's two or three sentences. I think you're a really cool lady. I love you a lot. You're a blessing. Well, that'd be a good thing to hear, right? But what if I said that same thing every day to her, you know, and that was it. Okay, I checked off the box. She knows I love her. I think she's great. And I say the same. Well, what'll happen is it'll start to lose its power because, you know, I'm checking the box. But if I find different ways to express my love, different ways to express my heart, different uh, opportunities to listen to her heart, now we're really getting into a dynamic relationship. And that's what we're talking about with God. We want a dynamic relationship. We don't want this, okay, I checked the box and, and I said my stuff and I'm a good little Christian and, and, and uh, God feels good about me today. It's not really about uh, just the, the art of discipline. It's more about the dynamic of relationship.
And Jesus is trying to get us to see this. In Hebrews 10, the word says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. And that's what he wants. So I'm trying to draw, uh, to bring out a few illustrations, uh, maybe a couple a week at least, from the book that we're reading. Draw the circle. Uh, just because I know you're in it, we're kind of going through it together. And here's a quote from Mark Batterson in the book, talking about these very things. Mark Batterson from the book Draw the Circle says, Whenever I'm praying for something that is way beyond my ability or resources, I tend to pray longer and louder. I'll pull out the biggest theological words I know and pray in King James language. I mistakenly think my combination of words will somehow unlock the miracle. But I'm learning that God listens more to our hearts than our words. And what God loves more than anything else is childlike faith. It's our childlike faith, not our theological vocabulary, that moves the heart of our Heavenly Father. It's simple childlike trust. It's the bedrock belief that God is bigger than our problem, bigger than our mistake, bigger than our dream. When we pray, we tend to rank our request by degree of difficulty. We see our request as big or small, easy or difficult, simple or complex. But let me remind you of this simple, profound truth. And I love this line right here. To the infinite, all finites are equal. To the infinite, all finites are equal. And that means that God is so mighty and amazing, there is no degree of difficulty to him. Everything's easy. We tend to think that way in our heads. But to the infinite, all finites are equal. And so when we come into his presence, a loving God, um, we, we trust him in these ways. So we don't babble on, as it says in one version, or we get into this, rather, we get into the specifics of our situation, talking to him uniquely every day in a, in a new conversation. We tell him that we need his help in the situations that are in our lives, that we know of his greatness, that we trust his love, and we believe that, he, that he's moving on our, our behalf. These things are prayer, and these things are faith. And then Jesus says that when you approach him, approach God as a, as a heavenly father. Approach him as a loving and holy father who wants to help you. That is the atmosphere of prayer. When you go to pray, when you get in that prayer closet, approach him as a loving, holy father who wants to help you. Uh, I, I just want to say quickly that many people have had a bad father in life, so they have a bad view of God. And I want to remind you that, that your dad is not the example of what the father is. The father is the example of what your dad should be. So, so don't let that stop you from going forward because God the Father is amazing even if your father didn't do well. He's a loving, holy father who's never done you wrong, will always bless you and wants to help you. So keep that in mind as Jesus says in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. So first he says get alone. Now he's showing us that pattern. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he's that father in heaven, a loving father, holy. That's what hallowed means. He's holy, completely righteous, and completely loving. In Matthew 7, verse 11, it says this to us. Even though you're bad, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your heavenly Father will give good things to those who ask Him? He wants us to know that even the best fathers on earth want to take care of their children, but He's better than the best Father. He's the ultimate Father. And He has good gifts for you, and He wants us to approach Him with that heart and that atmosphere. An illustration I've used before, but I love it because I think it explains this so well. 
a little girl sitting on her daddy's lap. And as she looks at him, she says, Daddy, I know what's on your mind right now. And Dad says, really, what is it? And she said, it's me. And he said, that's right. How did you know that? And she grabs him with both hands on his cheeks. She said, because I can see me in your eyes. And here's what the Bible says in Zechariah 2.8. Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. Now, I know it's hard to believe because we've made so many mistakes and but, but your toddlers made a lot of mistakes, right? They hit people, they bite people, they, you know, they, 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 they throw food, they, they just make messes, right? And yet you really love them, and, but, but, but we have a tendency to think because we don't do everything just right that perhaps he doesn't love us completely, but he does. He lo- you are the apple of his eye. He has you on his mind. You never bother him when you come to him. Take a look at this video. I saw it this week on Facebook. I thought it was so cute because I think it explains. Uh, you, you look at this child, and I think you're going to see how God looks at you. Check this out. Goliath was a giant. He can fight God's people. The soldiers don't want to fight Goliath. He's too big and strong. But a boy named David was not afraid. He prayed to God. I was not stolen, Goliath. He knew he had his word forehead. Yeah. He never bothered the people again. David was a hero. Give me five for David. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have five to you? <laughs> That's how God feels about you. He loves you. He He wants to be close to you. He sees you as good and not bad. He sees you as becoming. And too often we think of him as an ogre up there who's just uh, has a a list of checks and balances about how good we're doing or not. When you realize, check this out now, when you realize how much he loves you, your life will change because you won't be performance-based anymore. We live in a world uh, with so much entertainment, athletics, and, and business that if we're not careful, everything's about achievement. This is America. This is the West. Everything's about achievement and, and performance because we'll be cut. We'll, we'll lose out to our competitors. We'll, all these things. That's not how God is. You won't get cut. He loves you. And if you realize he loves you, your whole heart will change in the way you pray. Because you'll be coming before someone who really likes you, who really cares about you, and who wants to help you. He is a loving and holy father. That's the atmosphere that we go into for prayer, and it'll make a difference. Another thing he says, pray for heaven to come to earth. So we're talking about this pattern, this prayer that he, did you know it's God's will for what's perfect in heaven, where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, nothing wrong in heaven, no heartache there. It's God's will for heaven to come to earth. Matthew 16 says, I'm sorry, Matthew 6.10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of 
the prayer Jesus pattern that Jesus wants us to pray. Did you know that the theme of the New Testament, if you're looking for one theme, is this, the, the kingdom of God. You read the New Testament, and because I said that, if you hadn't heard it before, you watch how many times you, you see the kingdom of God. It's all through there. The scriptures are laced with the thought, the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, I want you to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> now, Jesus came down from heaven to bring heaven to earth. That was literally heaven, co- heaven coming to earth. <clears throat> what happened when he died on the cross? Now, check this out. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, was crucified and risen again for our sin, he destroyed the power and dominion, any power and dominion that the devil would have in our lives. Now, we can give place to the enemy in our lives with temptation and, and, <clears throat> and, and, and just not thinking about the things of God, going and do whatever we want. We make ourselves vulnerable. But if we'll come close to God, it's, the Bible says that he'll come close to us. And, <clears throat> and this is what you can know. You have power to defeat even the enemy of your soul. That power was given on the cross where Jesus took dominion over the enemy and all of his works. Now, this place is in heaven, right? So the kingdom of God right now, and write this down, it's a good thought, is both now and not yet. The kingdom of God is both now and not yet. Meaning it's now that we can pray his kingdom come, his will can be done, healing can happen, great things can happen, miracles can flow, and we can, we can just usher God's presence into a situation where his power is unleashed with our prayer and our faith in him. However, <clears throat> this is in heaven. And though more and more of us are figuring out how to pray heaven down to earth, how to live in such a way where <clears throat> he's released in a mighty way, <clears throat> we're building his kingdom as we do that. When we go to Cambodia, we're working to build his king- kingdom. When an usher passes out a bulletin there and looks with real genuine concern into someone's eyes who's visiting that day, they're building his kingdom. So we're building his kingdom and it's now, <clears throat> it's growing, it's becoming But it's not yet in the sense that one day he'll come back to this earth, put his foot down on Mount Olivet, and and then he will rule and reign over everything with dominion. But he's asked us in the meantime, before that total dominion takes place, that we'd understand that he's given us power. That we'd understand that we can pray. This is what he said. I'm not making this up. Our prayers bring heaven to earth. And so prayer is a really important thing. Jeremiah 32, 17, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So that's that atmosphere that we can pray in faith with now. We're going this loving, holy Father. We want to see his kingdom come on this earth. And and we're realizing he has all power in his hands. The theological word for that is omnipotent. Omnipotence, all-powerful. I every now and then run across someone who will throw this up to me, and it, to me it's silly. It's usually a person who doesn't believe in God and, and wants to diminish this, this, these qualities that I talk about today. But they'll come up with this question. You may hear it in the future. Can God make a, a rock that's too big for him to pick up? What I want to say is the bigger question is, um, can man make a riddle that superficially puts God in a box? I mean, that's, that's the better question, you know. I remember in college, 
uh, we had a professor named Ralph Beebe. He was an expert on Israel and just a brilliant, godly man. <clears throat> and um, there were over 100 students in the class, and he had us write notes from the lectures and our studies. Every week, we had to turn in our notes for this class, and it seemed like a bit much. And then, supposedly, you know, we turn in four or five pages. Supposedly, this professor is reading all this? 100 students? Really? I remember us questioning whether he really, but he would write something on there. You know, he would check each one and say he read it, and every now and then say a comment, and <clears throat> we thought, well, surely he can't be reading those. <clears throat> one day in class, one of the young men thought they would challenge him, <clears throat> and they said something like this, uh, hey, professor, do you, do you read all the notes in that? He said, uh, well, yes, I actually do read all your notes. He said, every week? He said, yeah, and the young man said, no, you don't. He said, what do you mean? He said, I wrote something really silly in my notes this week, and you didn't say a thing about it. It was just nonsensical. And the professor said, if you're talking about that thing you wrote about peanut butter and bubble gum, I just thought it was so silly I didn't want to address it. And then, you know, joke's on him, and everybody laughs because the professor reads this stuff. But sometimes uh, God just won't play your dumb game either. You know what I mean? That's what the professor's saying. I'm not going to play your dumb game. And so if, you, if, if you're going to play this game about, you know, I don't know if you can, and then why did you do this, and Noah, and all, whatever your questions are, uh, he wants to reach to you relationally, touch you, bless you, love you, and, and save you, but, but he won't play a dumb game that, that, that pretends that you might be smarter than he is. I like what Batterson said again in, in our reading, he said, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the word impossible was removed from our vocabulary. So this is our omnipotent Father. This is the Father who's saying, hey, I've got all power. I want you to pray it down from heaven to earth. And so we pray. Ephesians 3.20, now all glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. We can pray and his power is released. And he asks us to pray. Another thought from Jesus, pray for his provision. Now, here's what you can do, not as a rote letter or just to read from the bulletin, but the bulletin notes have all these things listed and many of you are doing the notes right now. You can take these, these bulletin notes and use each one of these things as a pattern. If you'll, if you'll go through each one and thank him for being a loving, holy father and for meeting you somewhere this week and, and just walk right through this like I'm saying, you, by the time you're done, you've prayed at least 20 minutes and you'll be shocked if you've never done that before. But you're not praying what I pray. You're not praying what others pray. You're not just reading a prayer. You're praying and connecting with God yourself and that's the point, right? And one of the things he said is it's okay to pray for your for, for provision. The reason you need this whole prayer is because what believers tend to do is just pray for his provision. God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. But never realizing, uh, declaring the greatness of his omnipotence, declaring that heaven has all things, God has all things in his hands that he can release. What happens when you start to pray these things is you start to believe by faith that he's there and he can move on my behalf. Then when you start to pray for provision, your heart attitude is even a little different. There's not as much doubt that's there. Matthew 6, 11, Jesus said, give us today our daily bread. And that's praying that he would provide. Now, this can be our physical needs, but it can also be spiritual needs as well. Uh, relational, relational needs. 
the wisdom of the word of God applies to what we need as well. So here, here's what it says about your needs in Matthew 6.25. So I tell you, don't worry about the food or drink you need to live or about clothes you need for your body. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Look at the birds in the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. But your heavenly Father feeds them. And you know that you're worth much more than the birds. So that's quite a thought, really. You know, every now and then, I don't know why, but this is something that is recurring for me. Every now and then I'll see a little bird all by itself somewhere, just hopping around, looking happy. And, and I have the thought about God seeing the sparrow. And he knows, you know, he knows when that one bird falls to the earth. And it makes me think, if he knows, about the, he knows about that little bird, how much more does he know about you and I? How much more does he care about his creation that he gave a soul to? His creation that he's drawing to himself to, to bring to be with him forever in heaven someday. That's us. And he cares about us. So when we go to pray for provision, some of you might not have a job. Listen, I've been in so many situations when I was young where my parents trusted the Lord when we had nothing and God would show up miraculously. And, and, and because of the way I was raised, don't feel bad if your kids don't have a lot. If you teach them about God, they have everything. I'm telling you, I had a laboratory that showed me miracles over and over again because we didn't have much. And I, I just don't think like a lot of other people. I can have the thought that I don't have a house, I don't have a car, and I don't have food at this moment and still believe that he's going to help me. And, and so, so what happens when we, when we begin to realize these things is, is, is we, we pray in a, in a different way with faith understanding. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Went by all your needs really fast, but let me say that again. My God can meet all of your needs. Our needs are not our wants, right? There's some people who want to make it about cars and houses, and that shows the, the blessing of God. Well, we see a lot of people with cars and houses that don't have the blessing of God at all, right? It's, 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 it's not that, it's, that, that God doesn't bless us even with riches, because he can. It's just that riches are the least of God's blessing. They really are. They don't mean a whole lot. They don't mean anything for eternity unless you're resourcing the kingdom with them. Right? And they don't mean that you're being blessed more than someone else, uh, spiritually. But what God says is, I'll take care of all your needs. I love you. I'll meet all your needs. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. And so we can approach him asking for his provision. This, in this passage, he says bread, and that's the, the, the physical sustenance that we need. And, he, and, and it's broader than that, the spiritual sustenance that we need in all things. And he'll just show us, sometimes he'll just provide a special moment to show us his love. Uh, this ridiculous 49er fan over here gave me a, a story this, that I, that I want to read to you uh, today. Uh, David and Jenny just did their sabbatical. That was our youth pastor, by the way, and hopefully you could tell that was set up, you know, that he's just not that, that rude usually in service. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, David and Jenny went on their sabbatical. Thank you so much. You give your pastor sabbaticals here. Once they serve for seven years, they get several weeks where they can just go away and rest and come back. And I, I love it when our guys get sabbatical because um, they, they get to find out that it's not about performance, that God just lavishes his love upon you. And, um, 
they, they get to find out about the balance of life. They get to reconnect with their family, their spouse. And that happened for Dave and Jenny in a special way. Uh, they got to go to, this is the hard part of the story to tell, they got to go to Paris as part of their, uh, uh, their, their sabbatical. And um, they, they, this story happened there, but I thought it was so cool where God brought just a special moment to show them that he cared about them. And that's part of what he provides you too, the peace that you need in your heart. So I had David write this out. They flew to Paris, and after 30 hours of flying and not sleeping, Jenny and I finally arrived in Paris, and we were exhausted. I carried our heavy bags for what seemed like miles through the terminal to get to our train. And by the way, this just happened just the last few weeks. We took the train into the city, and we had to switch to the subway, so they're tired, right? 30 hours moving, big bags. We were tired and uncertain of which platform to head to, which train to take, and how to get tickets. And a nice man welcomed us as if we needed ask if we needed help, and he guided us through the train station and to the correct platform. He bought our train tickets, but asked me to pay him back, plus a tip for his services, which got him thinking, right? He said, I didn't have cash, so I went with him to the ATM. He instructed Jenny to wait with the bags on the platform while I went to the ATM. At the ATM, it occurred to me that this could be a scam. And he was probably working with a partner who was probably robbing Jenny while I was away at this very moment. So I paid him. I ran back as fast as I could, but I found Jenny safe. And we were both rattled and scared after being alone in the station. I mean, they're in a foreign country. Most people don't speak their language. They, 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 they just felt very vulnerable. At this point, he said, we were shaken up. We were tired, uncertain, and, and here in a foreign land. And we finally arrived at the metro station and came up the stairs into the plaza to the sound of familiar music. It was worship music right there from Hillsong blaring out loud over the speakers. Set up right there in the plaza, and immediately we felt the peace of God. We checked into our hotel, and they upgraded us because it was their 15th anniversary that they were celebrating, and they gave them a, a, a balcony with a view of a square. And when they opened the doors to the balcony, they heard the worship music pour into their room, and Jenny and I danced, he said, together in that room, both sensing the Lord saying, I've got you. I love you. I did this just so you know that I'm with you. Isn't that cool? That, that God cares enough even to give a Niners fan a moment like that. <laughs> Psalm 147, 11. I'm still talking about his provision. He knows what you need in your spirit for peace too. He, he gives special moments. He's good. It says this, but his joy is in those who reverence him, those who expect him to be loving and kind. If you expect him to be loving and kind, you release him to be those things. Sometimes we block him by, you ever hear the person say, you know, the person that says you don't love me and they won't let you close, you don't love me. Yeah, I do, I love you. No, you don't. Get away from me. No, but I really, I really do love you. I think you're special. No, no, and they won't let you in. Sometimes we're like that with God. You don't love me because all this stuff. No, I really do love you. This is earth, not heaven. Bad things happen, but I, I'll overcome and I'll help you. I'll walk. But you don't, no, no. And we fight him and we don't even let him in to love us. He loves us. Let him in. He's loving and kind and wants to come close and provide everything in you, you need in your heart and your life. Moving on, this pattern of prayer. Pray that God will forgive you and help you to forgive others. Boy, this not only will hinder our prayer life, 
when, we're, when we don't forgive, <clears throat> it hinders our life. It makes us miserable if we don't forgive. You say, I'm not going to forgive that person until they do the right thing and say they're sorry. Well, here's a question for you. What if they never do the right thing? They never say they're sorry. You've just put a ball and chain around your own neck. You're going to drag that around, upset in life, because they won't do the right thing. You're letting them determine. Maybe they did. I'm not saying they didn't hurt you. I'm not saying it, it wasn't wrong. It may have been wrong. It may have been terrible. It may have been hideous. But you don't have to put a ball and chain around your neck. God can help you. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean that God's talking about it. It doesn't mean what you did is okay. It, it just means here, the root of forgiveness is, is to give forth, forgive, give forth. And it's giving forth to God. And here's what it means. I don't need anything to happen from that person to make me feel better because God is big enough to help me overcome even if they never do the right thing. You're not letting them off the hook. You're putting them on God's hook. You're, you're saying, God, you know it was wrong. I'm giving this to you. I'm not going to let it weigh me down in life and hinder me. Because if you don't forgive, bitterness can well up. And bitterness does what to your family? It defiles them, the Bible says. It defiles many, those around you. It can make our spirits angry. It can make us sad. It can take us even to depression at the worst point where we just won't give it up to God. But when we give it to Him... He comes with his peace. He lets us know that things can be good even if those other people never do the right thing. Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And that's not just talking about a bill that arrives in the mail, but it's talking about, as another version says, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sinned against us. Not sinned, but against us. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, you will not, your Father will not forgive your sins. Whew. That's one of the reasons we're miserable. Because if we don't forgive, it says the Father won't forgive us. That's a, that's a heavy thought. So part of prayer is, Lord, forgive me. And part of prayer, every time you go to prayer, is, Lord, is there anyone I need to forgive? Is there anything that's... Hey, I'm telling you, this, this is not a once-for-all thing, this prayer to forgive others. This is a regular, ongoing thing where you realize that person said something mean to me, that person said something bad about my daughter, that teacher, that coach, that what, whatever. Uh, often it's authority that hurts us the most because uh, their words mean more uh, to, to us and to others at times. That's the way we feel. But we need to go to prayer and get our spirits right and say, Lord, is there anyone I need to forgive? And he'll bring something to our rem remembrance. And then we say, Lord, I just give that to you. Oh, God, I don't want to carry that. Uh, and then, and then we, we do what the Bible says. We pray for those who despitefully use us or who have a bad attitude towards us. We pray for them. You, you know what I found? If you pray for people that are mean to you, your heart changes towards them. People are mean for a lot of different reasons. And um, usually it's hurt that's been in their life somewhere. They don't know how to do it right. They're, they're, they're miserable themselves. And sometimes we can be the key to unlocking that mean person's heart. But our prayers, it releases us to peace in our life. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now I need to move quickly here on these next few. Protection from temptation. Did you know you need to pray that God would protect you from temptation? That your life will go better, you'll have less temptation 
show up in front of you if, if you pray this? He said, pray this and lead us not into temptation. Pray for God's help here. He'll keep you on the right path. He'll keep your feet in the right way, away from that wicked path. His Spirit will remind you, redirect you. The Spirit will change circumstances as we, as we pray. And here, here it is, plain as day in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you. Remember, temptation is not wrong. Everybody's tempted. It's not sin. It's giving way to temptation that becomes sin. So everybody's tempted. Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Everybody's tempted in, in ways that you're tempted. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Lead us not into temptation. That's the way that we should pray. Deliver us from evil. Actually, if you look at it more directly in verse 13, Jesus said this, deliver us from the evil one. There is good and evil in this world, by the way. You know, it's, it's, it's a subtle thing, but it's anti-God, anti-Bible to think that there's no evil in this world. Because the Bible makes it clear. Right here, Jesus says that we should be delivered from the evil one. He tells us that there's an enemy of our souls that would want to wreak havoc with our lives. He specifically says to us to pray to God the Father to be delivered from the plans of the evil one. Here it is in 1 Peter 5.8. Stay alert. Watch out. Huh, when you read those two things in the Bible together, take note about what follows. For your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to be praying prayers of protection and covering over ourselves, over our family, and over our friends. Even over our spiritual leaders. Covering, protection from the evil one. Deliverance from the evil one and his plans. Now I want to say this, we're aware that the devil exists, but we're not to be afraid of the enemy. Because here's what it says in 1 John 4, 4. God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who's in the world. So that's why we stay close to God, because his spirit that's in us. That's why we pray, because we unleash his spirit in our lives. He's greater than the enemy of our souls, but prayer is necessary, even required here. Jesus says that we should pray for deliverance from the evil one. So let me take that to a place of protection. It could be protection in many places in our lives, but... Um, you know, some of you know I've had a pretty good uh, stitches count in my head in my lifetime. Before I was 12, I think I had, a, you know, around 150 stitches in my head. 69 right here when I jumped off a horse and hit a pole when I was about seven. And, and then there's bike flipping and swimming pools jumping up and hitting me on the chin and all kinds of stuff that just happened along the way, you know. And then recently, I, I got 75 more, so I'm well over 200 if... If I shave this head, and especially with this now, I'm, I'm like Frankenstein. I mean, it's just, there's just stuff everywhere with scars, you know. Well, before I was, um, be, before I really got to be on my own or even got to be a teenager, I was having all these accidents as a kid. And, and uh, I, I didn't understand gravity. That, that was the real problem. It took me a while. And I didn't understand safety, you know, those, those things. So I was always risking and jumping and catching air and hitting hard substances. And, and, 
and I bled a lot, you know, and so my mom had this fear because, you know, she had several times carried me to the hospital with blood all over her. Um, she had this fear that I was going to die. And so she prayed continually for me. She told me that she kept having this dream that she'd wake up where she'd walk up on someone, a uh, little guy, you know, in a puddle of blood, and it was me, and she thought I was dying. And so she had these fears, but she prayed, she prayed, she prayed. I could go by my mom's room at times and hear her praying for God to keep her son Stan alive. I mean, I could actually hear these things, you know. I think those prayers not only protected me in those situations where there's, there's a couple of them that I really could have died. But I remember something. This might sound ridiculous to you, but it's my story, all right? I get to tell my story. If you want to doubt it, you can doubt it. But this is what I believe. So I'm um, probably eight years old, maybe nine, living in Santa Cruz, California. Went to visit some friends in a little community next door called Aptos. Uh, they were in an apartment. Mom went in to see her friend, and I just thought I'd wait out here, you know. There's a playground there, but then there was a big tree. So, you know, big trees need to be climbed, right? And so I started up this tree and went all the way to the top. I'm thinking I'm 40 feet up in the top of the tree. And I went up to the parts that start to get limber and, and aren't strong, right? The very tip of it, saying to my friends, look, I'm here. I'm at the top. Ah, you know, I'm doing all that stuff. And God is my witness. I started to fall forward. And I had no branch to hold me, nothing that I could grab hold of. And I remember looking down as I'm going like this and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gone. And it's just like the hand of God grabbed me and put me back up. I didn't grab anything. And I remember standing there and saying, how did that happen? I was, I was gone. Now you can doubt that if you want, but I believe that things like this happen when mamas pray. I believe that God wants to bless us and bless his children even when they're stupid, like kids who climb trees, right? And what I'm saying is, we, you know, this still, I'm not saying that everything will be blocked. You know, this is a place where there, there, there's death in this life and there's hardship and, and there's struggles. And the Bible tells us it's appointed for man once to die. And yet, the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. Even though it's not completely there, God says, I want you to pray protection over your family. I, I want you to know that I will cover you and deliver you from the plans of the evil one. What's the evil one come to do? He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, doesn't he? So when we pray, we give a special covering. You know, bad things can happen, but then when we're praying, we know that sometimes God allows us to go through trials so that we can become stronger. But, it, you know, if we're going through a trial, I just want it to be for the will and the glory of God. I want it to be the will of God and the glory of God. And God will allow us to go through trials, but some of it's just the ugly enemy trying to hurt us. And it's not God's plan at all. And when we pray, we get covering, blessing, and protection. Ephesians 6, 18, I'll close with this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. This is where it says, put on the full armor of God. This is that passage. And prayer is part of it. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the same.